We will be in the book of Luke today, and I'm going to talk to you about faith. And we've talked about faith before. Faith is pretty central to what we're doing as Christians. Um, It's by grace through faith that we're saved. And when Paul began his book, Romans, maybe you've heard of it, there's a famous verse there. It's verses 16 and 17. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Or another possible translation is beginning with and ending with faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we get busy with a lot of things as the church, but at the core, all we are about is the good news of Jesus Christ, that we, sinfully disconnected from God, were hopeless and helpless, but God sent Jesus to live the life that we failed to live, to die the death that we deserve. And by faith, we can receive his perfect record and we can receive his payment for our sins and we can be cleansed and made innocent and justified. But down at the core of it, down at the core of who we are is this idea of faith. So I need you to be thinking about your faith this morning as we read, we'll be reading from Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. How's your faith? In Hebrews, faith is defined as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So when I say, how is your faith? Faith is assurance. Faith is conviction of a Savior that we can't see and a salvation that we we hope for. Our hope is in it. That these things are true and that Jesus is who he says he is. How's your faith this morning? Today we're going to meet... Since it's Memorial Day weekend, we're going to meet a soldier who had faith. But he didn't just have faith. He had faith of such a quality that Jesus himself marveled at it. Jesus marveled. I I don't know if you can picture Jesus marveling at anything. But it means he was astonished, almost beyond his senses. He was shocked at the faith of the soldier that we're going to meet in Luke 7. It's the only place I I know of in scripture where Jesus marveled like this at faith. There's other places where he marvels at people's lack of faith. He just can't believe that they they still don't get it. But here he marvels at this Roman soldier's faith. And I think it'll be instructive for us to read this passage and and see what happens in this soldier's life. He, He presents a prayer request basically to Jesus. And Jesus responds and miraculously heals his servant whom he cares about. Now, as we read it, I want you to have in your mind, what's that, that thing that you're carrying around that you really need Jesus to intervene? Maybe there's a clear answer to that question. What is the one big concern that, is, that you need miraculous intervention for? I'm, I'm praying, I've been praying for us that God would bubble that up to the surface of our minds as we read this passage. Because we are going to pray at the end. And we're going to pray, hopefully, with similar faith that this soldier had. 
And I want you to have something specific in mind for it. I'm praying the Holy Spirit will bring it to your minds. So, without further ado, if you're able to do so, would you please stand with me? We stand just to, to recognize this is no ordinary book. This is God's Word. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Luke wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, After he, Jesus, had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him, earnestly saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, And let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Would you pray with me? Father, please reveal your truth to us through your word. Help me to serve your people well. But mainly through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would awaken within us deeper, richer, more true faith. Like the faith that you gave this centurion. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing can have a seat. So I want to walk you back through the setup of what happened, and then we're really just going to focus on what the centurion sent his friends to tell Jesus in the end. But there's a couple of just little details that will help us understand the passage before we get to that. Jesus had just finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people. He's just been on like a teaching tour, and I'm pretty sure this comes almost immediately after the Sermon on the Mount. Many of us are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. It's sort of his big centerpiece teaching on the kingdom of God and what it means to be a disciple. So he's just finished with that, and he's entering into a place called Capernaum. Um, A centurion has a servant who is going to die. A centurion is a Roman soldier who's in command over 100 soldiers. That's where century, centurion. Okay, so he's a prominent Soldier, he, he probably got to that position through a long military career. So he's a man's man. He's a soldier's soldier. He's used to people obeying when he speaks. He's seen battle. He's probably killed men. This is a tough guy. This is a prominent man. And he's Roman. And the Romans and the Jews did not mix. Because Rome was the occupying force. Okay, The Jewish people wanted Rome out so that they could have their own land. And the Romans didn't think very well of the Jews. But for whatever reason, this Roman centurion had a pretty good relationship with the Jewish community. It seems that he personally financed the building of their synagogue, which is as, as, if, as though some um, 
you know, government official just gave us money to build a, a big church building. The synagogue is where all their teaching took place. It's pretty close to what we do with our church buildings. So he paid to build their synagogue and they thought very highly of him. So he's got this servant who's going to die. He really cares about his servant. You know, back then servants were basically like property. He didn't have to care about his servant, but he did. Now, just to get in that same emotional space, I know some of you have lost loved ones or maybe even been so sick that you thought that you might die before. So this servant is dying. The centurion loves him and doesn't want him to die. And he's heard about Jesus. So he goes, he doesn't go directly to Jesus. He goes to the Jewish elders and says, will you go and see if Jesus will come and help me and heal this servant? The Jews do go. You see what they say there. They say, basically, he built our synagogue. He's worthy for you to do this for him. So Jesus is on the way. He's getting close to the centurion's house. And it's like the centurion thinks twice about it and says, well, I don't think I should have Jesus in my house. I don't feel worthy for that. Sends some friends out to meet Jesus, and they deliver this message that we're about to study. And the message that we're going to study that the centurion sends to Jesus is what Jesus finds marvelous. It's what Jesus is astounded by. So we're going to plant ourselves there in verses, um, second part of verse 6 through verse 8. And I just, I have picked out two characteristics of this sort of faith that we're going to look at. Okay, we'll read these verses one more time. And we're going to look at two characteristics of the sort of faith that makes Jesus astounded. Listen to what the centurion said and see if you can see what's so astounding about it. Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Did you see anything in there that would make you astounded? I, I had to read a lot. I mean, I thought there was other, other examples of faith in the scripture. I'm not, I wasn't sure why this was so astounding to Christ. But there are two characteristics of his faith that shine out to me, and that's just what I want to point out to you briefly here. Humility and confidence. Did you see his humility? Humility and confidence. Visually, it'll get burned into your memories so you won't forget it. Lord, do not trouble yourself. That original language is it's like, don't, I don't want to be an annoyance to you. I don't want to trouble you. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, first off, you notice he addresses him as Lord. Lord is someone who has absolute ownership rights. It's a very respectful way to address Jesus. But more centrally to the text, look at what he says about worthiness. He doesn't perceive himself as worthy to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, contrast that with what the Jewish elders thought about him. They came to him in... um, verse 4 and says he is worthy to have you do this for him the jewish elders thought he's worthy for you to do whatever he asks and why because he built them a synagogue and has been nice to them so you've got that view that perception of worthiness and then you have the centurion self-perception of unworthiness i think this is really important to 
to note. Because we can slip into the same trap that the Jewish elders did. That based on what we do, we're worthy for Jesus to answer our prayers. That's not how the centurion sees it. It's sort of a play on words here. It's two different words that can be used for worthy. But the Jewish elders, when they say worthy, they're saying that this man is weighty enough. He is deserving. He's earned this. Through his service to us, he's earned answered prayer. Now, the word that the Roman centurion uses is a different word. and It's more comparative. His word means, in comparison to you, I don't add up. Now, when we compare ourselves horizontally to each other, we can find ourselves quite worthy. The centurion compared himself to Jesus Christ and found himself lacking. I think one of the elements of this kind of faith that Jesus was celebrating here is this humility. There's two different ways to approach God as Christians. You can approach him based on your own worthiness or you can approach them based on his worthiness. And I bet that we approach them based on our worthiness a lot more often than we think. For example, when is the last time that you really blew it? You, you were sinful, you got angry, you flew off the handle, you, you gave in to some temptation, you said things you shouldn't have. Did you then feel that you could turn to your Lord in prayer or did you feel that you needed a buffer time so that you could get your act together a little bit and get yourself cleaned up and maybe get a little track record of doing some good things and then you could go to him in prayer has that ever happened to you maybe I'm the only one that's ever felt that way that reveals a misunderstanding of what makes us worthy to come to him in prayer in the first place yes after you blow it and you've sinned and you've done that awful thing you're unworthy to come to him in prayer But even after you come to church service and you listen to me speak for 30 minutes and you do that colossally good deed, you're still just as unworthy and of yourself. It's not about our worthiness. It's about Jesus' worthiness to be trusted and to have faith in him. Here's a question to help you think about this too. Do you think Billy Graham is more worthy to have God answer his prayers than you are? You and Billy Graham both have the same prayer request. You got a splinter in your finger and you can't get it out. Do you think that Billy Graham is more worthy to have Jesus miraculously heal his splintered hand or you? You're both equally worthy. Or rather, you're both equally unworthy. And you're both approaching the same worthy Savior. So humility, faith is based on Jesus' worthiness, not our own. So whatever your thing is, I'm praying that God is bringing to our minds some specific things that we need God's intervention, whatever it is. However unworthy you feel to bring it to him, that's okay. Bring it to him, not because you're so worthy, but because he's so good. Second characteristic I want to point out is his confidence. You would think that humility would generate kind of a wimpy prayer life. Oh, who am I to come to God? I'll just keep it to myself. 
But it doesn't. It, it breathes a confidence in prayer. Look at how confident he is and clear he is. At the end of verse 7, But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. He's got such confidence in Jesus' ability. He doesn't even think that Jesus needs to come and see the servant or touch the servant. He can just say the word, and it'll be done. Now, how's your faith in this area? How's your confidence in Jesus' power? Whatever your thing is that the Holy Spirit may be bringing to mind, do you believe that Jesus could just say the word and it could all change in an instant? Whatever it is, you're, you're consumed with loneliness and depression. Do you believe that Jesus could say the word and change it? Change how you feel, change how you think about it, send you a friend? You're financially just, everything's falling apart. Do you believe that Jesus could just with a word change it all? Just out of nowhere, something could come that was totally unexpected and change everything? I've told you, I love to tell this story, so I'll tell you again because some of you may not have heard it. But you remember the story about when I ran out of gas and I was in a rough area and I managed to coax my car. I was on an interstate in Raleigh and my car ran out of gas. And I knew where the nearest gas station was and it was like 10 or 15 miles away. So I, you know, I nursed it over to the side and this probably tears your car to pieces, but I cranked it back up to get more momentum so I could get a little further. I just wanted to get off the interstate. I had to do that like twice and I managed to get to the ramp and the ramp went downhill so I was able to coast down. I had to run the red light to keep my momentum to just get as far out of the way of traffic as I could. And I got to another little side street and I was going barely inching along at that point. And I got just enough momentum to get off into the side of the grass knowing that I was nowhere near a gas station. This was before I had a cell phone. Everybody else had a cell phone. It wasn't that long ago, but I didn't have a cell phone yet. Soon, I, I don't exaggerate telling stories. That's why I'm a terrible storyteller. Meredith can tell you some good stories. But I cannot tell a story because I, I stick to the literal truth. And literally, when my car stopped, this big white Dodge Ram whipped in behind me. And these teenagers hopped out, no shirts on, looked like they'd been hunting or fishing all day, and said, hey, man, did you run out of gas? I said, Yeah. He said, it's your lucky day. We've got this gas tank so full back here in the back of our truck that it's sloshing all over my truck. So he takes it out, puts gas in, and it's like, thanks. And they took off. I never saw them again. Now, that's a small thing. But it just goes to show you, I mean, God could do anything at any point. Anything, even with whatever it is that you're thinking of right now. You could have some white Dodge Ram of deliverance pull in behind you. And it'd be perfect. And some of you have experienced those things. And I've heard some of your stories. I hope to get some new stories like that so I don't have to keep telling you about the time I ran out of gas. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Jesus really could do it. He could just do it for you, whatever it is. It may not be how you expect. It may not be what you want, but he could. So have you just asked with as clear confidence as the centurion had here? Say the word and it will be so. And some of you may be thinking, well, yes, I've asked. And he hasn't answered me. 
Some of you may be angry about that. Well, there's, there's three different ways he may answer our, our prayers for stuff when we ask him for things. He can say yes, and he can just do it, or he can say no, and he has some reason for it, something better in mind or something he's trying to work out in us, or he can say later, and we have to wait. The hard part is discerning those answers. And just last night, I was praying with my boy, and uh, we pray every night that he won't have any nightmares or bad dreams. And sometimes he does still have bad dreams. And so we prayed again last night, and I was walking out, and he said, Dad, how can we know if God says yes or no when we can't see him? Well, what would you answer, Elias, if he asked you that? I'm always exhausted by the time I'm walking out of his room because I've been laying there with him and talking to him. And the best answer I could come up with on the spot, which I think generally is true, is you just, you know as you go. And you see what he does. But the main thing isn't the yay or nay. The main thing is to keep trusting in him. The main thing is the faith. See, we can tend to think that the main thing is the prayer. If I pray right, if I pray long enough, if I pray hard enough. But prayer is just the heat. The faith is the flame. And it's the faith that God cares about. He had confidence in Jesus. Jesus could just, he could just say the word. He also had confidence in Jesus' authority. That whole spiel about, I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say, go, and he goes. And I say, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do that, and he does that. And he's saying, Jesus, you're like me. I, as a centurion, have been given authority over my 100 soldiers and my servants. You are Jesus Christ. You are the Lord and the King of kings and the Son of God. You have authority over everything. Now, do you believe that Jesus has authority over everything? In this example, Jesus has authority over life and death. And with a word from afar, he heals the man's servant. But what's your thing? What has the Holy Spirit brought to your mind? Do you believe that Jesus has authority over that? It is under Jesus' authority. And so we can approach Jesus humbly, but with confidence. And finally, he has confidence simply that Jesus cares. That's a little side note, something you might miss, but... Jesus cares enough to heal this man's servant in a day when servants were viewed as nothing more than property. So Jesus does care about whatever it is on your mind. He does care. He is authoritative over it. And he is powerful enough that he could change everything with a word. So we come to him, we ask him boldly and clearly and confidently, like the centurion. But ultimately trusting in him that he knows what's best. So how is your faith? How is our faith as a church? You know, if we judge it purely by the times that we pray together, it may not be that great. You know, the Sunday morning prayer meeting is always just a handful of us. And I don't say that to guilt anybody. I know especially when you have kids, it's not really an option hardly to come. But I, pray that, I hope that we'll become a praying church, a church that has faith like this. That we'll see God do miraculous things like he heals this guy's servant. 
How do you view yourself in terms of worthiness approaching God in prayer? Do you feel like you've done some pretty good stuff in your day? You've been faithful to Doolin's Grove and therefore he ought to hear your prayer. And the fact that he didn't answer yes when you want him to answer yes makes you angry because you've put in your time and you've been a good Christian and he owes you. See, that's not right. That's wrong. And I've seen that happen. Or do you feel so unworthy that you hesitate to even go to him? That's not right either. More importantly than how you view your own worthiness, how do you view Jesus' worthiness? Do you view him as worthy of your faith and your confidence? Or do you feel like you have to go it on your own? How confident are you in Jesus' ability regarding your life? How confident are you regarding Jesus' authority regarding your life? How confident are you regarding Jesus' concern regarding your life? See, we're going to pray together now. We have a closing song, and I'm going to pray, and I invite you, if something has been brought to your mind, I invite you now to, when we stand up to sing, to come and pray up here. And here's why. I don't do a lot of altar calls, and one reason I don't is because I don't want to manipulate people emotionally to, to do things emotionally. I believe that if the Holy Spirit is doing his work in your heart, he'll do it in the pew as easily as he'll do it up here. There's nothing more holy about here than there. But there's something clear about standing up and coming forward and kneeling and praying. There's something concrete about it. And I invite you to do that this time. I invite you to get up and come forward and pray here. And if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'm happy to do that. If you just want to pray by yourself, I'm happy to leave you alone. But let's, this Roman centurion had this kind of faith. Let's have this kind of faith. Let's, let's approach God humbly but confidently. Let's ask him to do this thing that we need so bad. And then let's just trust him and see what happens. So let me pray for us now and then I'll invite Sandy to come forward and we'll sing our closing song. And I invite everyone who feels so inclined to come forward and we'll pray together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of this Roman soldier. Jesus could not find in all of Israel such faith. If he was capable of it, I know that we have the capacity for it. Lord, please do your work in our hearts and and ignite that sort of faith in us. May we be a praying people who come to you humbly, not based on our worthiness, but based on you and who you are. Help us to trust you deeply. And please answer our prayers. Please encourage us in that way. May our halls be filled with stories of miraculous answered prayers. Let that be the engine that drives us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.